All right, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10 again today. So if you would turn with me to Luke chapter 10. All right, let me remind you that uh, last week we talked about Jesus sending out 70 or 72 missionaries. We pointed out that that's one of the uh, discrepancies in the early manuscripts. And as far as people who talk to you about, well, the Bible's got all kind of problems, these translations aren't reliable, uh, one, of the, one of the biggest problems, if you want to call that a problem, is this verse that talks about, is it 70 or 72? Uh, the reason is that there are very early manuscripts that each say one of those things. And so it's, if that is the biggest problem we have in our modern translations, you can see that we don't have a big problem. It doesn't affect anything regarding any theology, right? So he sent out missionaries. Now these were true believers. They had heard and understood from Jesus the true cost of discipleship. They had heard his teaching and they knew that following Jesus meant they had to deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow him. They were willing to prioritize the kingdom of God over their own comfort, their own riches and their own relationships. We talked recently about some guys who said, hey, Jesus, I want to follow you. Two of them said, I want to follow you. And Jesus said to the other one, hey, follow me. But they all had concerns that were overriding following Jesus. Well, we see that these guys, these 70 or 72, didn't have those qualms. They were ready to go. Now, they weren't the 12 apostles. They were regular folks like us who had been reconciled to God. And then God had given them the ministry of reconciliation just like he has us. Last week, we saw Jesus send them out and tell them to go and minister to people and preach the coming of the kingdom of God. Now, they were preaching that the king of the kingdom was actually coming to their town in a few weeks. We preached the king already came, and we get to tell them the whole story of why he came. Jesus instructed them to do the following when they went into a town where they were not received. Now, we're here in Luke 10, verse 10. It says, But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, Go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. Now, the gospel is good news. It's actually the best news that there could ever be. God has made a way for you to be reconciled to him. But along with that good news is some very bad news. And the bad news is what happens if you are not reconciled to God. Hell has become a rather taboo subject in our modern churches. Um, you know, we just don't want to talk about it. I think maybe some preachers are kind of embarrassed by the doctrine of hell. I mean, the doctrine of hell doesn't really look so good for God, some people think. So maybe we should kind of avoid it or, or downplay it. We want God to be liked, right? So let's not talk about hell because that is a major downer. It wouldn't poll very well. You know, if you, were, if you were talking about what people liked about God, his justice and his righteousness that does indeed condemn some people to hell, that would not be real popular. I understand that impulse. I don't like talking about or even thinking about hell. But Jesus made it part of the message of the kingdom that these 70 were out there giving. When they were rejected, they said 
publicly, hey, you guys have rejected us. We're going to shake this dust off. Know that the kingdom of God has come near. In other words, they were to depart with a warning to these people. Why would you give them a warning? Because you care about them and you want them to understand the gravity of what they're doing. Today we'll pick up with what Jesus told the 72 about what awaited those who rejected his messengers. It's sobering. It's scary. I'd rather talk about something happy, (laughs) but God put this in here because he thought we should know it. Therefore, we're going to take a look at it. So let's look at Luke 10, 12 through 16. Now remember, Jesus is talking to these evangelists about the towns that rejected them when he says this. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, Will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me. The one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. So the point here that I want you to take from this passage is that God holds people accountable for the amount of revelation they receive. So if God holds people accountable for the amount of revelation they receive, we should not do any more mission work, right? We should make sure that no missionaries go anywhere and that nobody hears the gospel, therefore nobody will be guilty. Well, no, that's not right because God holds us accountable for our sin, but in addition to that, he holds us accountable for the amount of revelation that we have had. See, he didn't say it will be bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon, He said it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. So it is not that we're not to give the gospel. We are to give as much revelation to as many people as we possibly can. But those who have been blessed to receive more will have more to answer for. That's why it's a little bit dangerous to come hang around church if you're playing. If you're playing, it would be better for you to sleep in on Sunday. Because you would be held accountable for less revelation. Look, I'm no Adrian Rogers. I'm no J.D. Greer. I can't preach the gospel as well as they can, but I can preach the very best gospel there is, which is this true gospel that we preach. So if you come here and you listen to the true gospel every week and don't obey it, you have a greater condemnation than those who never hear it. So if you go to hell from here where the gospel is clearly taught, with several copies of the Bible lying around at your house, you will certainly face harsher punishment than someone who never heard the gospel. Let's take a moment to remember what sort of place Sodom was. All right, Sodom was inhospitable to God's messengers, and that is putting it very mildly. But it shows you the connection between the inhospitality of those me- that was received by those messengers and the inhospitality that was given to these 70 or 72. So Sodom richly deserved judgment. Let me tell you, uh, I'll just summarize the story that you can find and read later in Genesis 19 if you want to look it up. So these angels went to Sodom and their mission was to go and tell Lot and his family, get out of here because God is going to judge this place. 
So they came and they were going to spend the night in the market square. Well, Lot saw them and said, no, don't do that. You need to come home with me. And he really, he kept on at them and they said, okay, we'll come home with you. So they went home with Lot. Well, the men of the city surrounded Lot's house and demanded that those visitors be given to them so that they could have relations with them. Lot said, no, we can't do that. That's horrible. Don't do that. I tell you what, I'll give you my virgin daughters and you can do what you want with them. And that's seriously messed up too, but I won't get on that aside. (laughs) Anyway, the men didn't want them. They said, no, no, no. We want these men that have come here and you can't be a judge against us. You let us have them. And the angels grabbed Lot, pulled him in, closed the door and struck those maniacs outside with blindness. All right. So the next part of the story should be These guys were terrified of the judgment of God. They groped away trying to find their home to hide in, right? Nope. It says they wore themselves out trying to find the door. (laughs) That's how insane and perverse these people were. They, They were stricken blind by these angels and they're still, all they cared about was getting their hands on these angels. These were wicked, wicked, depraved folks. In Genesis 19, 24 through 25, Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. Now this is after the angels completed their mission and took Lot and his family out. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. Now after the destruction that was just mentioned, after that Abraham looked and here's what he saw. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked and behold, the smoke of that land went up like smoke of a furnace. Now that was the punishment for Sodom in this life. So much more awaits the inhabitants of those cities in the judgment. And yet Jesus said, those cities that reject you to the missionaries, he said, it's going to be better for Sodom in the judgment than for you. The amount of revelation you have makes you much more responsible to uh, obey, to listen, hear, and obey the gospel. So let's think together for a moment. Were the 72 put through the same thing that the angels experienced? Well, certainly not. Then why would the condemnation of the cities that rejected them be worse than that of Sodom? Well, Again, because of the greater revelation that they rejected, the angels sent to Sodom didn't go preaching repentance and salvation. They were just there to tell Lot and his family to get out of town before God nuked the place, right? Now they did, though, have the witness of Lot and his family. And yet they chose to reject what light they were given, what revelation they were given. But these 72 evangelists were preparing the way for Jesus who did indeed come and preach repentance and salvation. So if, if you are tuned out, tune back in because this is really important. This should cause us to reevaluate our understanding of sin. The sins of the Sodomites were grave and deserving of the punishment they received. But I don't think any of us realizes how sinful it is to reject or ignore the truth. If we did, we would prioritize attending church, reading our Bibles a whole lot more. Instead of rejecting or ignoring truth, we would be seeking out more truth and obeying it when we found it. 
So guys, I know to us, the sin of Sodom seems way worse. They were violent. Uh, they were homosexuals, but they weren't just practicing homosexuality. They were trying to rape these angels. I mean, it's bad stuff. These were violent, crazy people. And we don't see that in the same light as rejecting the truth and the revelation of God. But the point of this passage is that he does. And so we really need to re-understand what we think of sin. Let's look at verse 13 and 14. Jesus says, Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. Now, Chorazin was a little village a couple of miles from Capernaum. And Capernaum was Jesus' headquarters during his Galilean ministry. So they had seen a lot of revelation. They had seen the teaching of Jesus. They had seen the miracles of Jesus. Chorazin was exposed to Jesus uh, pretty regularly. And so was Bethsaida. It was the home, we find out in other parts of the Bible, Bethsaida was the home of Andrew, Philip, and Peter. Both of these towns had seen things that would have caused Tyre and Sidon to repent in sackcloth and ashes. And let me tell you, Tyre and Sidon were not good places. They were not places that were, oh, hopeful of more revelation so that they could, they could repent as soon as they were told to. These were bad places. Uh, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Joel, and Amos all prophesy against these two cities because of their uh, idolatry and their paganism. One example is Joel 3, 4 through 8. It says, what, and this is a prophet of God speaking on God's behalf regarding Tyre and Sidon. He says, what are you to me, O Tyre and Sidon and all the regions of Philistia? Are you paying me back for something? If you're paying me back, I will return your payment on your own head swiftly and speedily. For you have taken my silver and my gold and have carried my rich treasures into your temples. You have sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks in order to remove them far from their own border. Behold, I will stir them up from the place to which you have sold them, and I will return your payment on your own head. I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hand of the people of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabaeans, to a nation far away, for the Lord has spoken. God was not a fan of Tyre and Sidon, we can see. Yet Jesus, who knows all things, said the inhabitants of those cities would fare better in the judgment than these cities that had seen his ministry. Now, it's not hearsay or exaggeration for Jesus to say, Tyre and Sidon are going to fare better in the judgment than these cities. This is the judge who is talking, okay? Uh, The Bible says that the Father has given all judgment into the Son's hands. And so Jesus is not speculating about what somebody else might do. He's not just looking at the future of what somebody might do. He's telling you what he's going to do. Okay. He says these are going to suffer more in the judgment than Tyre and Sidon will. This is an amazing indictment. And that's why I'm saying if we can get our heads around the fact that the, the sin that is worse than that of Sodom and Tyre and Sidon is rejecting truth when we're confronted with truth. Now, what about the last city mentioned here? Remember, we said that Capernaum was the the home base for Jesus' Galilean ministry. Now, in verse 15, we read, And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? They think they should. 
They think they're religious Jews. They, they say, yeah, of course we're going to be exalted to heaven. Jesus says, you shall be brought down to Hades. Now, Hades sometimes is, is mentioned as a, a place of just death. But here it's clearly used in contradiction to heaven. So he's talking about hell here. The residents of Capernaum weren't hostile to Jesus, though. You remember what happened when Jesus was in Nazareth? They tried to throw him off a cliff, right? So these guys in Capernaum had never done that. They had never persecuted him in any way that we read of in Scripture. They hadn't tried to kill him. They hadn't tried to run him out of town. They hadn't done anything bad to him. The residents of Capernaum apparently suffered from something more addictive and more debilitating than the residents of Sodom and Tyre and Sidon. And that was self-righteousness. That is what was going to get them. Uh, Brother Don, who used to go here, and I were, were walking these streets and witnessing to people that would allow us to. And we went in, we talked to this one lady. And she was, uh, she was refreshingly honest. She had a real understanding of where she was spiritually. Because what she told us was, I am going to go to hell when I die. And the reason is because I'm living in sin. And I said, it's wonderful that you realize that. It's wonderful that God has revealed that to you. Now, you can have forgiveness. And let me tell you how. And I told her. And she said, well, I can't do that because I am in a, a same-sex relationship with another woman. And I'm not willing to give it up. All right. That was heartbreaking. But in a way, it was, it was a little bit refreshing because she wasn't. She wasn't deluded, okay? At least she knew where she was. And she knew how to get out of it. If she wanted to repent and believe the gospel, she had that information. The folks that can't get out of where they are is the ones that don't know they have a problem. Now, if there are lost people here today, you're probably the Capernaum type rather than the Sodom type. In other words, if you have a sin that you prefer over Jesus... It's probably self-righteousness rather than sexual perversion or even primitive idolatry. Now, I would argue that self-righteousness is a, is a more sophisticated form of idolatry than bowing down to a little statue, right? But it's still idolatry. It, it's, it's that thing, self-righteousness, that is likely to be the problem for somebody sitting in here today or for your neighbor, Okay. I would rather have a self-righteous neighbor than an openly wicked neighbor for my own convenience. <laughs> okay, I like a peaceful, quiet neighborhood. If I have a uh, Sodom kind of guy next door, it's not going to be very peaceful. The cops are going to be there all the time. There's going to be weird stuff going on. If I have a self-righteous neighbor, he may be a great neighbor. He may cut his grass nicely. He may be quiet at nighttime. He may keep his dogs from barking. And that's a better neighbor to have. But it's worse for him because again, just like this lady down the street, she at least understood where she was. We have neighbors around us, guys, all over the place that are deluded by self-righteousness. And they can't see it. Guys, that is why we have to take the gospel to them. You know, I talk about that and I know some of you are thinking, dude, everybody knows the gospel. Well, first, that's not true. Because we've all, I've, I've shared with you the story of the lady down the street, it was a different lady, um, that said to me, I asked her who Jesus is, and she said, I'm, I think he's some white dude, right? 
And she wasn't being sarcastic. She wasn't being a jerk. She just had no idea who Jesus was. So there are people around us that don't know, that haven't heard. But there are more people around us that will go to church on Christmas and Easter. They've heard the gospel. They just don't care. They're rich. They're self-satisfied. They don't need God. Those folks, guys, need the gospel desperately. And you say, well, they've heard the gospel. I know, but they didn't believe it. They didn't receive it. They need it again. They need you to pray for them. They need you to witness to them. Now, we've been looking at what Jesus told these 70 to do last week. And we need to obey that. We need to go and we need to see who is receptive and we need to stay there and, and build into their lives. We need to invest in those people. Uh, the folks that reject us, we need to not waste our time, but we do need to pray for them because, you know, the parable of the soils, that hard soil is not going to receive the gospel. We can't change the soil, but God can and will sometimes change the soil. So we should pray for them. But here's what Jesus says in verse 16. He says, the one who hears you, hears me. Do you hear that? The one who hears you, when you take the true gospel message, the one who hears you, hears me, is what Jesus said. He also said, and the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. So if they reject you, they are rejecting Jesus. If they reject Jesus, they reject God the Father. But the good news is, if they hear you, they hear Jesus, and they can be reconciled to God. Now, talking about hell is scary and depressing. I don't like to do it. But we need to warn people, because they don't know what they don't know, and we got to tell them. There is a consequence to you rejecting the gospel. Now, let's move on to a happier subject, and that is the ones who do receive the message Let's take a look at what happens when they return, when those 72 return to Jesus. The 72, this is verse 17. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Guys, there are people that will listen to your message. The Bible says those who were appointed to eternal life believed. Those who were appointed to eternal life believed the message they heard. That's good news. Guys, it's not a task that is unsurmountable and impossible and frustrating. Now, it is frustrating sometimes. I guarantee that. When I share the gospel with people and they reject it, that is frustrating. Why? Because I feel personally insulted? No, because they rejected their only opportunity for reconciliation to God. And I'm sad about that. But there are people who will hear and receive the gospel. And you know what? That will give you joy, just like it gave these 72. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now let's talk about this for a second. This is either a really weird and disjointed conversation. <laughs> or Jesus means something that's not immediately apparent. So these 72 come and they say, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And they're all pumped and excited. 
And Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now are they going, what? What's that got to do with it? Well, Isaiah talks about Jesus falling like lightning from heaven. Revelation talks about that as well. I think, though, Jesus was not switching topics. And then he goes on to say, um, Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. And then the guys, the 72, could have been going, uh, cool, that's a weird superpower. I mean, I like might have gotten super speed or flying or something so I could get my witness out quicker. But, you know, Lord, whatever you, you know, if you want to give us the power to step on snakes, and that's awesome. So it's either really disjointed or Jesus is still talking about the enemy and the power of Satan. So what I think happened is these guys came back and said, hey, uh, the demons are subject to us. And Jesus is saying, yeah, I know I was watching. What you are doing when you go and you share the gospel, you are beating up the kingdom of darkness. You are going in there behind enemy lines and setting captives free. The Bible calls this world, the God of this world, Satan. He says Satan is the God of this world who has blinded the minds of unbelievers, right? So we're in his territory. When we go and we witness and we share the gospel with lost people, we're invading his camp and we're setting people free. And so they said, hey, even the demons are subject to us. And I think Jesus is going, yeah, I saw <laughs> you were you were invading the kingdom. You were whipping up on the kingdom of darkness. And then he says, behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. And I don't think he's saying go snake handle. I think he's saying, yeah, I gave you the power to go in where the enemy is and defeat these powers. You know, in Genesis, we see the serpent, right? And we don't, we associate the serpent with Satan, right? So Satan either used the serpent or manifested himself as the serpent or whatever. So we're still talking about demonic powers. He's not doing this weird change of subject that says, hey, you should handle poisonous snakes. He's saying, I have given you this power and rejoice about that because it's awesome. But then he says, you know what's more awesome? The fact that your name is written in the book of life. So when we go out to witness, we don't need to be frightened of these demonic powers. Now, demons, uh, I I see some preachers talk to Satan. They'll address him. They'll talk to demons. They'll command them to do this or that. I don't have anything to say to any demon. I'm never going to do that. Uh, But I know that the one who is in me is greater than the one who is in the world. So we can go into Satan's territory, which is the world. We can set people free. Not we, but we can take the message of freedom and God can set them free. And we can go into his fortress and steal folks out, take them out of the kingdom of darkness, transplant them to the kingdom of God. And there's nothing he can do about it because the one in us is greater than the one in the world. Now, he's not going to like it. He's going to fight it. He's not going to let them go without a fight, without opposition. But ultimately, God has more power than he does. And so there's nothing he can do. So let me encourage you with that. We can go. We have permission from God to go into enemy territory and to rescue people. Now, you know from hearing me preach that I don't think it's us. It's not us. It's, it's just the, the message. We're just the messenger, right? The one who does the miraculous work, who takes a dead person and gives him life. That's God, all God. But he uses us if we're willing to go. These 70 were willing to go. And they came back joyful. 
that God had given them victory even in the enemy camp. And we can have that same joy and we can have that same victory if we model that same obedience. Now, how do we free them? Well, we tell them the gospel. And I will summarize the gospel. I know you've heard it a bunch of times, but I want you to hear it so much that you can say it in your sleep. All right, the gospel is this. We sinned against God, and we made ourselves an enemy of God. Now, there's no way we could fix that. We didn't even want to fix it, really. But we couldn't fix it if we wanted to. So what God did was he sent his son to live a pure and perfect and holy life that we couldn't live and die in our place. And then he offers us salvation. Salvation is trading places with Jesus. It's Jesus in our place. Salvation is taking his righteous life and crediting, crediting that to me and taking my sinfulness and putting that on Jesus' account, which he paid for on the cross. So that's the message that we can take to people. And we can go into Satan's world, into Satan's backyard, and set people free right under his nose. And there's not a thing he can do about it. That's fun to do. That's the business we're called to do. Let's pray together that we'll be doing that.